Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Alien Minute. It used to be the daily podcast where we talked about Alien one minute at a time, but Aliens is up soon. But before that, we wanted to talk a little bit about Alien Covenant. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And yeah, that's what we're here to do today. Mitch and I have both seen Alien Covenant. We decided we would talk about it on microphones and record it for you, and so we're doing that right now. How you doing, Mitch? I'm doing great. I uh, I, I I saw Alien Covenant in a theater with about six people, so I'm not sure how much I could gauge the audience or anything that was going on in the movie. I guess what happens when these things get released in these huge mass releases, unless you go prime time, you got the whole theater to yourself. Yeah, I went. Uh, I went to the Alamo Draft House. I actually got a ticket couple weeks in advance because they were selling these Mondo um, pieces like a Mondo magazine, Mondo pint glass. And so I was like, oh, if you, you get something kind of fun in advance. And so I got the uh, this magazine. It's pretty cool. It has a little articles about the alien, the history of alien and so on. So I, I, I had my ticket ready to go and I went. It was the first Sunday. So I guess that's a prime time. Those first three days should be prime time. And it was pretty, pretty full. But it wasn't full. And uh, I was able to gauge a little bit of reaction, but mainly just from the people right next to me. I didn't, there wasn't a lot of audible response or anything, just some cringing and things that were going on around me. And that's about it. But yeah, when you saw it, you saw it, what, a week later? Yeah, I think I saw it on a Wednesday afternoon or something. And yeah, so it was a few days later. And, and I guess this, it follows that you experienced a little bit of it, this precipitous downturn in, in box office that it had immediately it's apparently we're recording this a week into its run and it's dropped 80 percent at the box office i think that's kind of interesting maybe some of the things we're going to talk about might contribute to why that is i, I haven't heard anybody tell me that, that it was great but i guess word of mouth on movies is a weird thing now I, the last thing i heard a lot of good word of mouth on was get out a lot of people were talking about that but i don't i don't feel like this has made any kind of a dent in the popular consciousness no it's it's shoved you know into the summer movie schedule so that's part of it you're going to have something like i believe this weekend uh pirates the new pirates of the caribbean came out right not that anybody's super excited about it but oh it's the other it's the other movie that oh that's out i guess if we're going to the movies we can go see it i really think that sometimes having a movie coming right on the heels of that that's a sequel that somebody people will almost default go to that's going to hurt your box office a little bit but you're right, the word of mouth still does seem to have an effect. Get Out was a huge hit, all on word of mouth. The legs on that thing were amazing. I saw it I saw it in the theater a little late, I think, in its run, um, relative to some other people I knew. And then I was able to see it in the theater again about two or three weeks later. It was still around and, it, well, you know, very worthy of that, I think. But um, that had to be all word of mouth. There wasn't any real big publicity push. I would, didn't see anything in the trailers or anything that would make me think that tons of people would want to see that movie. It was very intriguing to me, but I don't, you know, most of your everyday moviegoers aren't going to watch that trailer and be really excited about it. So it had to have been the word of mouth of people that have, had seen it that gave that movie the legs that it had. Well, the marketing people aren't going to give you any help. They never give you any help. No. All they do at best is show you the entire film so you don't have to go and see it. I don't know if you saw the trailer for The Beguiled, the remake of that, but there's absolutely no reason to see that movie if you see the trailer because they show you the entire film, including the big twist. I, I, well, I, I know that I've seen the original Beguiled. I don't know how different this one's going to be as like, far as the plot. It looks but. like it's a shot-for-shot shot remake at this point. So, yeah, it's not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to expect except that I'm probably not going to see it because the trailer totally suggested that it's the, it's the entire movie just being played out. I'm actually very excited for that movie, but I'm never excited for remakes. But something about that one, I guess maybe the cast and the and the and it's Sofia Coppola, which I think she's interesting. She's not a batting a thousand percent to me by any means, but she's always very interesting in what she uh, takes on for a project. And I, I like the old Beguiled. I I, oh, I love it. I remember watching that, movie, that movie when I was a kid on Saturday afternoon. Thought it was great. So I'm interested to see a, what an updated version might be, but I have not seen the trailer, and now I know not to go near the trailer. No, you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> and I saw another one in the theater before Alien. I can't remember what it was, but I was really appalled at how much of the movie that I was being shown. And I guess the marketing geniuses say that that's what people want. They want to know what they're getting. But I'm not sure that in the case of something like Get Out or in the case of most real thrillers, 
you don't want to give it all away in the movie pre preview. And that's so that makes it hard for these geniuses to sell a thriller. That's why nobody makes thrillers. Generally, what thrillers are today is a, a first act and then a chase that lasts the entire rest of the picture. And so that way they don't have to feel the pressure of having to give up any twists and turns. Something like Get Out, the pleasures were the surprises. And so you can't put all of those in the in the trailer. It seems like uh, I might be wrong about this because I'm not 100% aware of everything they do, but Bloomhouse seems to be the people that are doing best with marketing thrillers. I didn't know anything about Get Out uh, other than just a vague description. As a matter of fact, I remember giving someone a vague description before I saw the movie, and I was totally off base in what I told the people I thought the movie was going to be about. The same goes for Split. I saw uh, M. Night Shyamalan Split. Actually, just now it came out on video and finally got around to watching it. I actually did not know where that movie was going at all either. So there was a lot of pleasure. I actually thought it was a pretty solid film. And there was a lot of pleasure in the fact that I was sitting and waiting to see what would happen next, not not waiting to see the thing that I knew was going to happen next. Yeah. And that's that's key to thrillers. Of course, that's the thrill. I don't understand how that couldn't be understood by these people. I mean, I'm sure the filmmakers understand it for the most part. It's the marketing departments that take the movie out of their hands completely and they don't get it. And the idea that a movie audience wants to know what happens next, I mean, are they, do they think every movie audience uh, member is the person that's like, okay, what are they doing now? Like the the type of person that actually asks the questions while the movie is going on. I mean, I really think that's a rarity. I, I would like to think it is. But then again, are they, is it a chicken and the egg thing? Are they feeding that, that, that mentality now to where people are going to be that way naturally because they are being spoon fed? all these things ahead of time. I don't know. Yeah. It's, to me, it's a huge mistake. And I think that we're talking about a movie today where a lot of that was present in the marketing as well. Alien Covenant was, the way too much was given away in the trailer for Alien Covenant as well, including things that kind of made me not even want to see the movie yeah, <laughs> when too. I saw them in the trailer, knowing I would, I would see the movie, but it made me dread it a little bit because there are things in this movie that we've seen before that they showed us we were going to see again and then the placement of those events is something I definitely want to talk about today. Uh, we don't have to get into it right now. Maybe we'll start with a little bit more of a vague impression of the movie. But yeah, this idea of giving away ideas and, and kind of undercutting thrillers in that way is becoming a kind of a problem. Yeah, uh, we'll talk a little bit later today about Twin Peaks, just as a little preview of where we're going. And, and uh, that's a that's a TV show now that has been a huge hit and largely because of one word of mouth everybody's talking about it they're excited about it and two because it's a movie that or a series that's not going to spoon feed you anything and so we'll talk about that a little later as well but yeah i think with alien covenant i i went into the movie hoping that it wouldn't be as bad as prometheus and i guess the one thing i can say right off the bat is it's a little bit better than prometheus but not much and so that it was disappointing for me i i don't think i I enjoyed a lot of the movie, you know, I, I mean, I was, I was sort of following along with it. And, and, um, I guess the, my big note was I just couldn't care about anybody. I didn't, I didn't understand any of the characters really. And if you have to put all of your emotional investment in Michael Fassbender times two, that was not easy for me. I know he's a replicant. And so how, I don't know, this whole issue of sentience and which one's the more human of the two and all that sort of thing. By the way, there's going to be spoilers galore. So if you haven't seen Alien Covenant, you probably want to turn this off now. Go watch the movie and come back and listen to it if you're at all compelled to do that. Yeah, so somehow it didn't have that visceral connection that that you got with Alien and Aliens. Those those two movies, and I would even argue there's parts of Alien 3 that get me really kind of interested. And there's certain characters in there that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by. But, um, you know, this thing you got... You got a guy with a cowboy hat called Tennessee, then that's as close as you get to some kind of pulpy character that we've only seen about a million times in every James Cameron movie. So I didn't really feel like I was getting much new for that either. And yet, to me, I, one note I was going to give was that he was, I think he was my favorite character in yeah, the movie. I agree. Outside, I, do, I, I, I will agree. I mean, I don't know if this is really what you were saying, but the most intriguing character or characters were the Fassbender characters, Walter and David. I, I do actually like that. I actually liked that middle part of the film where we got the interaction between them, the um, playing of the what, the recorder, the flute, or whatever you want to call it. All that stuff I actually kind of liked. I, I was, hated that stuff. Really? I, I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I actually kind of enjoyed it. But, yeah, I don't think that that's the guy that you should 
be the most invested in. I think he was the he, he's the antagonist of the movie. Even the the relationship between him and Walter, that idea that you're talking about of the sentience versus I don't know, android nature, that shouldn't be your main character unless it is, unless that's what your whole movie's about, which yeah. this isn't that. Well, I think since we've drifted into character here, we can start there. Maybe we'll talk about character and then sure. maybe we'll move to genre and we'll talk about the, the plot. I was sort of intrigued by Billy Crudup's character. I was kind of interested by the idea of this guy who didn't really want to be captain, who really isn't that good of a captain, who has this weird religio-philosophical thing going on. I don't know. I thought there was some tension with him, and, and I felt like good for Billy Crudup to be willing to play a character who really is such a kind of incompetent in, in many ways, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I really disliked this character personally. Oh man, we're gonna just exactly we're, the opposite. we're gonna cover every base with some hate. I think today. <laughs> well, okay, I love Billy Crudup. I I really I've always liked him since Jesus is a Son. I think would be the first thing I ever saw him in, and he I, and I felt like I was in good hands with him starting off with the character. I actually do think he wanted did want to be captain. I think that you might have forgotten there was a a moment where he talked about. His faith, perhaps he was being um, oppressed a little because of his faith, and they didn't make him captain in the first place because of it. And right. I think he felt a little forlorn because of that. So I do think he actually did want to be captain. But um, I thought there was a kind of awkward setup to his character that threw me off, and it, maybe it threw me off for the rest of the movie as far as his character is concerned. And that was that we got these um, religious images really early on with the, in direct relation to each character, or not each character, but a couple of characters. We get Daniels, uh, Catherine Waterston's character with the crucifix nail, right? So we get, I got Christianity from her. There was, uh, what's her name? I think it's Rosenthal is the character. We get a star of David pretty prominently placed on her chest early in the movie. Then he walks in and puts the, the kibosh on the funeral idea. And I immediately thought, oh, this is going to be our agnostic character. This is going to be our guy that, you know, he's about business. He's the scientist and that's what he's going to represent. You've just given me this idea that there's going to be this sort of representation with the characters. And then this guy comes in with a, with an agnostic agenda. And then the next thing I hear is that he's actually really Christian. And I didn't right. understand. I thought that was a little muddled and uh, backwards. I mean, perhaps if it had he mentioned that as being a choice that he made in order to counteract his the perception that that he considers himself oppressed by then maybe but i didn't get that at all so from then on every time he kept mentioning faith he kept using that word faith and then other characters would use that word faith in relation to him and i just felt like it was being shoved down my throat i didn't really feel the subtext there i just i i just felt like it kept falling on me i think <laughs> like you're... i was supposed to accept this thing idea and i didn't get the idea at all uh, I'll, I'll buy that i'll buy that because it, it's like so many things else in this movie it's a cipher this Dialogue gets put into a character's mouth, and you have to just take it on faith because they're not really doing anything that tells me that's who they are. Like, if you turned the volume off on this movie and watched it, I'm not sure what the hell you'd understand. You turn the volume off on Alien, and you know who each one of those characters are. Same for Aliens, even though, you know, Aliens is more of a comic book than Alien is and is an adventure film. This movie, there's so much just blah, blah, blah. I mean, David becomes Irving the Explainer, to to quote Ridley Scott so often in his you know commentaries. You've got this tour of a bestiary of all these different things that have been created, and it's just him blathering on with just reams and reams and reams of exposition to explain the movie. Which not, not only, I mean, you're kind of already getting to the core problem with this movie and movies like it. And it's not exactly, this is not going to be a profound revelation, but not only is it bad to have a character just dumping exposition in that way, but the exposition he's dumping is undermining what made this franchise great in the first place, or at least that we have argued throughout the, our discussion of Alien, and that is the mystery of the space jockey, the mystery of the alien. It's alien. It's unknown. And that's what made it interesting. Now you're telling me, <laughs> you're not only do you have these long, boring scenes. I mean, I thought that his lair, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, was the the art does the art design there, the the set design was great. And and across the board, I'll say on a positive note, this movie is beautiful looking. I thought it was great looking all the way through, other than a couple of effects. 
But I'm not only having to sit through this boring exposition, but it's telling, it's answering questions that I never wanted to have answered, especially not in this way. Yeah. This is not the answer I ever wanted if I ever wanted an answer at all. So that's, that's a double whammy of bad to me. And I think that once, as much as I love Michael Fassbender, and like I said, I like those scenes, interactions with them, the, the more, maybe, maybe more just that scene with the musical instrument. Um, this is the the point the David appearance is probably the point where this movie completely lost me. Like once he arrives, not only is there an, an implausibility issue with the fact that they so willfully follow him wherever he he just says, come with me. And they're like, yeah, let's get every, get everybody. Yeah. Come right. On. Right. Not only is that implausible and kind of stupid, but from then on, everything that they see and everything that they're told makes the, everything less interesting. Everything. I mean, the whole franchise. To yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, I agree. Not that I, I don't ever let these things ruin things for me. I never let midi-chlorians ruin Star Wars for me or the Force, the concept of the Force for me. But it's not fun to watch it, like the attempt to ruin it well, for yeah. me. And I think that that's what's really interesting as I looked at this movie just in terms of genre, trying to follow the cues that it was giving me. Like, what am I watching here? And I just felt like, especially with that flute scene, that, you know, it, once again, it's Ridley Scott wanting to make a fantasy movie over everything else, even though he says, you know, it's a horror movie or it's this or it's that. He seems to be just stuck in this Percival, Wagnerian, you know, kind of fantasy world where it's all about the design and the particulate matter in the air and these sort of long, beautifully set up and lit scenes that are just boring as sin. And if you want to make a fantasy movie, then give me a fantasy movie. Do something that has to do with the idea of fantasy and the idea of human fantasy. But it's just this vacuous, beautifully constructed box that, for me, had absolutely no resonance. There was not one moment in the entire movie where anything resonated. There were some moments where I kind of thought, oh, that's interesting, or I'm kind of in the middle of this, of this little action sequence in the, in the wheat field, for example. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But... In general, it's just this overly cooked, overly designed thing. And what's fascinating is when you find out how much practical stuff was actually done in the movie, it doesn't feel practical. By the time they run it through all of the different layers of computer imagery that they pour on top of everything, it all feels like just a kind of human animation kind of thing. And and, uh, it better have some great ideas underneath it if you're going to get me to identify with any of this, if it's going to look like it's all plastic people. And I think that, you know, saying plastic people, you know, I'm not, you mean it one way, I'll take it another way. I think what you're talking about here, the main flaw of, of movies these days in general, you know, we talk a lot and we actually have been taken to task maybe for sort of being down on CGI, I guess, as far as uh, uh, overuse of it in movies and so on. And I don't really have a problem with it, actually. It's fine. I understand. That's the age we're in and they can do a lot more and, and, I don't know, it's convenient for them, whatever it may be. But that doesn't matter because what matters is that it's you, you can create this CG world, this phony world all around these characters, but those characters better mean something. Like, they better be something. If they are, I kind of won't give a shit about the rest of the... Right. I won't give a shit about the effects, even if they're, you know, oh, I see that, that's phony. Oh, that, you know, maybe the xenomorph is a, a suit here and it's a CG character there. I won't care about that anymore. As long as you make me care about these characters... And I didn't like, I can't, I liked Danny McBride's character, but in the way that you mentioned as a sort of stereotype, I liked him as the stereotype. I actually was happy to see this pulpy stereotype. I actually believed he cared about his wife. Right. And I really liked that he went through that horrible trauma of finding out his wife died. And then he took action and he went back about business of helping people. He didn't like ball up in the corner. That's what we're used to seeing, right? That's what we saw Ripley do, right? Like Ripley dealt with the trauma of everyone getting mm-hmm. killed on her ship. And she, it was hard for her. It was, she was a complete fish out of water in that kind of a situation, but she still took the action. She still had the survival instinct. In this case, he had a sense of duty. I respected that about that character. Otherwise, I don't know any of the characters' names, really. I really didn't give a shit about two people getting killed in the shower. <laughs> man, oh, man. That, in the well, world. <laughs> that, I mean, that whole thing was, I was just thinking about that and thought we might get to it later, but let's just check that off the box right now. So, yeah, third act, well, it jumps to this stupid fucking sex scene where the alien's going to kill these two people who are fucking in the shower. It's like, that's your big idea for the third act? Really? That, that's, that's the best you can do? Well, I mean, okay, so... 
let's let's backtrack for just a second first. So we're in the third act. You're talking about that being a big idea. There's another possible big idea, but right, a, right. You're right. There's a you're problem right. with it, and let's get into it. So we we've, we've kind of gotten all the way. What first act? We're going to just talk about structure here. First act ends when what? Do, what would you say when David shows up, or is that a little late? I can't. When I'm, the ship blows up and they're stranded, and that the end okay, of the first so act. We'll say that's the end of the first act. So we get into the second act, and and let's just jo- um, what I'm trying to get at is the second half of the of the second act when the action's really ramping up when we should be coming to a climax. What do we get? What would you say composes most of the second act? The 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 build up in the last half of the second act. Well, a, a lot of walking around, and it seems to me it's a lot of walking around and and two aliens or two replicants talking to each other. Is that right? There's that, and then well, and then they try then, to then they, they, they try to. Do, am I remembering this wrong? What what is it they try to rescue everybody with? It isn't the entire covenant that they bring down into into the space, no, into, into the I, earth, right? Okay, it's so a, I think a, there's a ship. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So earlier, when when Daniels and Walter are they're inspecting the loading dock or whatever, yeah. so we got to set up that set piece for later. Right. Right. So right. That's fine. All yeah, good. Yeah. And then she tells the story about the cabin that they were going to build. Right. Yeah. So that's setting up things for later. And this ship is what they're talking about. I believe the ship was had something to do with that building the cabin. Right. So that's the thing that they that's go down. That's the thing they the, bring down, right. Okay, so the action that's building with Tennessee and the other two people I don't care about up in the covenant and he's wanting to get closer and closer in order to get radio contact and all of that. And he's taking risks by doing so because he actually gives a shit about saving some people. That I'm on board with. I like that. It's part of the reason why I like his character. So that I'm on board with. I actually, part of why I like his character, as I said, was that he takes action. And and, and so all that makes sense. And it could lead to something, right? But what the other thing that we're getting on the surface of the planet, and what was kind of offensive to me, was this whole business where David is trying to deal with, you know, get everybody out of the way, Right. And his dealings with uh, Billy Crudup's character, whose name I don't even remember. Are we really, in the second half of the second act of our big action adventure sci-fi horror spectacle movie, are you going to have the big moments be shit that I saw 40 years ago? Literally? Eggs opening and face huggers and fucking chestbursters? Really? Now? I thought I was offended by that. I was like, this is where I should be seeing something new. And you're... Not only are you showing me something I've seen, like from the beginning of the franchise, but you're showing this guy stupidly, like laughably, falling for it. Right. Like, David right. even tells him, "Take a look inside. Look in there." Like what? Yeah, it almost yeah, yeah. played like comedy, and it was a terrible time for any of that to be happening. There was no excitement to it because I knew exactly what was going to happen. So why would I give a shit? We brought somebody onto the ship that's infected, right? And then there's the whole thing about that, right? Yeah, and yeah. that. I mean, that is all the wrong time. Tropes. Yeah, it's the wrong time for it. I mean, I don't think they should have done it at all. I, I was adamant from the beginning for when I first saw the trailer and saw the facehugger moment, which was in the trailer, going back to talking about the marketing. Um, I was offended by the fact that I, Kane, I, sure, maybe somebody else had a facehugger on him. I don't want to fucking see it. Right. Kane should be the only guy, well, the first guy to it, ever have it happen to him. Here, no, he's not. Here we are back to also just this kind of the reality of the audience in the movie. In other words, for example, you have two characters meet each other in a film, and we know who both of those characters are. You kind of want to try to avoid the introduction if you can, because the audience knows. Don't tell the audience stuff they already know. Well, because we've been through all this before, there's nothing exciting about it for me. I, I feel like I've seen all this stuff, and so... I know how this all works and you have to assume that everybody going to this movie is going to this movie because they've watched alien movies. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, we're not making this movie for the guy who's never heard of alien because if, if so, that's going to be a totally different film. So is it fan service? Is it, is it, uh, you know, it's fandering. It's, it is fandering, right? A fan job. It could be because fan latio. What is it? (laughs) What should we call it? (laughs) Fandering is fine. <laughs> we can stop there. Um, no, I do. Okay, so of course, you know, we're going to be talking about that throughout this season with aliens. Of course, there are things you want to do to um, accommodate those who had never seen the previous film or any of the previous films. There's things in that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. That's also, you know, 
a nice way to remind people that maybe have seen it but don't remember. There's all kinds of things you need to do with sequels. But making an entire extremely important chunk of your movie, either fan pandering or strictly if giving them the benefit of the doubt, showing people that have never seen an Alien movie something new, well, it's a huge mistake. Like you, You really should be thinking about the fans first and meaning don't pander to them. Give them something new. I don't know why anybody would want to go into a movie and see the same shit they saw before, unless it's certain. There are certain franchises, I suppose, that 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 works, where you kind of do want to see the familiar, um, the James Bond franchise, for instance. There's certain things that you're going to see that you go to the movie to see familiar things, but this Alien is nothing. This franchise is nothing like that. This is all. This is a thriller franchise. It should be thrilling you. There should be a roller coaster ride involved. There should be loops that you didn't expect to have happen, twists. And on the subject of twists, then <laughs> we're going to move into... Well, I want to... Unless I do, you want to... I do. I want to touch back on just two other things while we're kind of still in this sort of... Um, I guess I don't know where we are. We're kind of story, plot, genre, that kind of stuff. Uh, it felt to me like the things that somebody was the most excited about, I'm not sure who that was, probably John Logan, was all of this Ozymandias, Wagnerian pretentious horseshit that was all through the movie and it's just so ponderous and it's so up its own ass and it's it's not interesting it's 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 i don't know what it is i don't know if it's it's pretentious and it's just it makes me just want to like you know go to sleep or something because it's so freaking boring yeah and it's interesting going back to the marketing again for just a second what did we hear about this movie leading up to it that, oh, it's back to Alien. It's gritty. It's rough. These are rough and tumble people, truckers in space kind of idea again. And then we get all this Wagner and shit. It's like, that stuff's not gritty. That the whole no. David, all the David stuff is not anything and like Alien. Alien. Anything you've ever the, seen in Alien. What, yeah, the Guy Pierce stuff at the beginning, too, is oh, really... Well. like It's all out of... Have you guys seen Hannibal? Have you ever seen the Ridley Scott oh, Hannibal? Yeah. It's all that kind of shit. And, it's, yeah. and it gets really tedious very, very quickly. Uh, and... I think what's funny is the good as time as any to just mention we we were looking at this HBO first look and uh, this twelve minute featurette about how everybody's talking about how great the movie is and yes that's all part of just the ballyhoo of of distributing a movie but these things are intended to obviously make the audience probably get them a little comfortable with the images they're going to see convince them the images are going to be great convincing them the movie is going to do this 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 and this. But when you go see the movie on its own terms, having not had any of that stuff aimed at you, you realize that individually there's lots of beautiful shots in this movie and there are potentially really fascinating moments, but they get all put together the way that they are, and it's totally ineffective. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just think it loses its way in that, f- that first act I thought was okay. I was okay. I was on board. And it did look beautiful, and that was a big part of what drew me in. Um, solar sails. I have a weird thing about that. I love that concept. And yeah, I think yeah. it's a beautiful cinematic it's a beautiful idea. Image. Yeah. And they were doing great. All that stuff was great. Going down to the planet, I've heard there being a there I heard I've heard a lot of criticism about this idea that they went to the planet and are we back to Prometheus level idiocy with the crew? I actually understood that they would want to I mean, think about these these uh arc ships what it would be like to be on one and thinking about the long-term effects of having a generation ship, for instance, uh, going to colonize a planet. If you found another planet that might work, you might really want to go Well, there. and you know what? And so I got it. I was on board with them would, going to the here's planet. Here's what I would have bought. I would I bought it as it was. I would have bought it even more if they'd even had a, a real protocol that existed for this situation. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so we're going down with the team. We're going to be down there for X amount of time if – this, 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 this hasn't ha- has has not happened. You turn the ship around and get us out of here. It's kind of like don't beam me up back in, until you know X time. Right. And then maybe there would have been a suspense engine that would have have driven this. But I guess in the end, since they're not going to bring it back up to the Covenant, supposedly, maybe maybe that's just a lot of hot air and it wouldn't have made any difference. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really want to rewrite the movie, but you're right that. Had uh, a Tennessee's wife been a pilot, the pilot of the ship, yeah, and she's waiting, and there's a clock, 
And and it's like, okay, well, we got to yeah, go a, do this. It's an engine. This movie has no engines. No. There are almost no suspense well, engines in this film. And that's really, really frustrating. It is. And, and the that's engine is you're... third point. The, the engine is us knowing the stuff is going inside somebody's ear when somebody else doesn't. Right. Us knowing that the alien is watching from an independent, you know, omniscient shot, which I don't need because it, it continues to move Dear us God. away from point of view. Or God forbid, alien POV, alien vision, like from Predator, there are shots of that. And it's like, I'm not, this is not what you watch these movies for. You watch these movies for the people, you know, the objects of attack. Well, and I will, I will say that the, the one neomorph scene in the wheat field I thought was great. And for all of those people who think that I just hate CGI because I hate CGI, it's not true. I realized that somehow those little creatures were more convincing via CGI than when something gets big and heavy and has weight to it. Yeah. And that's when it starts to get really... Like the whole big set piece where the person's hanging off of the the thing, uh, you know, and it's no, I hated that. I didn't believe a minute of it. I thought I was watching well, Iron Man again. We had, there, there's a I'll go. I want to go back to the wheat field scene for a second. But while we're on the ship, the tethered to the ship, trying to get the that, that was bullshit. Why would you even go out there? I don't understand <laughs> the things attached to your ship. You don't know what it is. You don't. They have no idea what it's capable of. And you climb the out. very first yeah. thing I would have said was, "Cool, let's hit the atmosphere. <laughs> It'll probably take care of it. Even if it didn't, like we know how resilient this alien is. Yeah. They don't. So at least give that a shot. I mean, as soon as she decided to take this incredible spine-breaking risk, by the way, yeah, yeah. there's no way her spine isn't fractured. And she's <laughs> at dead. The end she's of this. dead. She's dead. She's dead. So I mean, I I will let some of those things slide in a movie, but you can't start a sequence like that in such a stupid place. Like, I don't believe that she would make that choice in the first place. I could, fine, I'll let it go. Physical laws can get, can be let go to a certain amount. I can suspend disbelief for certain things. But once, if you start the whole thing with a dumb idea, then I'm going to think it's all dumb. And that didn't work for me at all. Now, on a positive, like going back, I'm with you. That Wheatfield scene was great. And why does the CG work there? Because it's obscured. Yeah. <laughs> and because there's... We're dealing with a, a kind of a light montage, like we're getting all this different, like lights flashing in different directions in a dark field, yeah, but then yeah. the dark field's illuminated here and there. And that was an idea. That was actually a very suspenseful scene. You don't know where they're going to come come from. They're really fast. All that stuff's really interesting. And unfortunately, that might have been the end of the movie for me. Yeah, as soon yeah, as that, too. that uh, we have a deus ex machina kind of moment there where David shows up and f- fires a flare in the air. And then they just willfully go off with them. I'm lost. And, and from then on, then they go to Vesuvius City. That was dumb to me. <laughs> like the whole flashback uh, yeah, to it was yeah. dumb oh to me. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Oh, I totally forgot about that. The flashback's uh, really bad. I'm sorry, everyone. Terrible. <laughs> we're, oh, my God. We're, we're trashing this movie pretty bad, I know. But that was just dumb. And yeah, the, the black spores and all that business. I just, like, what does this have to do with anything is what I'm asking the whole time. Yeah, me too. It's incredibly irrelevant. Like, that is what's so sad about it is that because it, it has no emotional resonance, it's not working any ideas that have any real sci-fi resonance that makes me think about anything. What's left, like, to make it relevant? It's not something that's new and fresh that's going to explode the popular culture. Like, you know, Alien had a resonance just because it was so damned unbelievable. And then Aliens was such an incredible thrill ride that it had a popular culture resonance. There's no pop culture resonance with this. It's just it's just dead as can be. And, and you know, we're dealing with... Let's think that this this city, this massacre of the city, I guess the whole planet or whatever, the people that live. These are the engineers, right, from Prometheus. Yeah. These are the engineers of our existence, right? And then the next time you see them, they're mouth breathers staring up at a ship getting killed in three <laughs> seconds. I mean, what the fuck is that? That's just like, to me, that's completely just tone deaf. Yeah. You're not even, I don't even care about the idea of the engineers in Prometheus, but... It's weird how I did enjoy this movie more than Prometheus, but there were things about it that I thought kind of ruined things I liked in Prometheus. And I didn't care that much about the engineers, but it was kind of a pretty scene. And, and I yeah. could buy it, sure. If you're telling me that that's what this these characters are, fine. I don't really want it, but I wasn't offended by it. And then you give me a character like Daniels here, who's supposed to be our Ripley, right? I guess. I guess, yeah. She made me like Dr. Shaw quite a bit. I actually like... Like thinking back on on Prometheus, I was like, you know, I really liked her story in that movie better than this woman's story in this movie. 
And, I, and, and so then by the time we're into our third act where we're supposed to really have the sense of dread, even in that first look, HBO first look, that's what Ridley Scott says. He says the idea is that of this movie is to let the audience know that something horrible is going to happen and they're, they have this sense of dread then. Well, that requires me to give a shit about the people that it's going to happen to. And right. I just didn't. Yeah. So yeah. this also leads me to the supposed twist of the movie. Now, Mitch, did you even for a second not know that Walter was actually David in the third act of the movie? I was so like not caring at that point yeah. that like when it was revealed, I was like, oh, God, really? That's you really are going to do that, huh? Because uh, I because I, you know, it's such a it's such a cynical ploy and it's yeah. such an obvious ploy. And I think what happened to me was I sort of checked out once we had the good Kirk versus evil Kirk fighting each other stuff. Like when they when they started fighting, I was like, really, you're going to do this yeah. really yeah and so my brain just kind of went beep and i was just like waiting for it to be over with and i actually thought i think ridley scott thought that was kind of a cute scene uh a little blade runner thing i he even says well, he, isn't there a blade runner line doesn't yeah, he the, say that's the spirit yeah, yeah it's like and when he did that i wanted to just barf and See, i that's mean and that's service e- even the even the even the flute thing I couldn't help but keep thinking back to the duelists and Tom Conti with his little recorder and the way it was shot made me think of that. And I was just kind of like, oh, God, you're so far up your own ass. Yeah. So when they're fighting. I wonder if every, I bet nobody is listening now. I bet everybody has turned <laughs> this off. I bet they thought uh, that this is such a bitch fest that they're not even going to. I didn't gonna... mean for it to be either. I actually, I mean, I'm trying to This interject. is our first conversation about the movie that John and That's I have true. had. That's true. I mean, you're getting raw con- conversation here. Like we had a text, uh, one text. <laughs> That where Mitch told me, yeah, I didn't really like the movie all that much. I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it on Sunday. Yeah, sorry. If, I mean, if you like the movie, I get it. And if you're mad at us, let us know. That's fine. Uh, we love to be open to conversation about this stuff. But I, I do want to get to this idea of the twist because there's there's two ways of looking at it. One is that it's not a twist, that it is supposed to instill the sense of dread. Where I thought it was so telegraphed that I knew that it was him the whole time. I didn't think there was any hiding of it, really. If it was, it was really lazy. And fine. Uh, I wouldn't be against that if I really cared about those characters. If I really cared about Daniels in Tennessee, which I, I kind of t- cared about him, I didn't care about her at all, or the people in the shower or any of that stuff, then maybe it would work. And and there have been uh, Matt Zoller sites, I know, kind of publicly, he's been Twitter, on, on Twitter, he's been defending the movie and defending that particular element of it as being, yes, it's just... He wasn't trying to hide anything. He's trying to instill a sense of dread. I just, it doesn't work unless the characters are people that we really, really care about. And to me, it was a real easy fix. Like you could have made it. I could have been surprised. There's no reason not that, you know, the way it's cut is Walter looks at the knife. Like he's going to reach for the knife and David's on top of him. And then we Mm -hmm. cut away. And then the next time we see him, we get this really ham fisted over the shoulder shot of david or walter looking over his shoulder back at the camera you know it's like you know like winky as hell mm-hmm. so there, right there i was completely sold well there's no reason have have walter stab him have right. him stab him right there's no reason that can't right. happen and then at least it tells me that he's won the fight yeah then you can cut away and then when the reveal comes later which is a, i mean it's a little hammy when she says you know oh, help me build the cabin and when he doesn't know what she's talking about uh, that's when she realizes that she's been had. Have a little stigmatic, like white fluid coming out of his side, and that's how she knows or, or starts to figure it out. And then that fits with your religious imagery. You've had the whole movie, something. Yeah, like there's any there's any number of ways that that could have been also a twist, and also we could have maybe been filled with well, a sense of dread by the fact that there's a freaking alien. Yeah, on the ship. we're back to aren't we back to the whole suspense versus surprise thing that yeah. that they opt for the quote unquote surprise of him being the other guy, and maybe the movie would. If you really want dread, you let us in on the fact that that it's, you know, it's not that it's not Walter, that it's David and let us in on that early so that the whole rest of the film is pregnant with this. Oh, my God, what's he going to do? And is anybody going to stop him? And and is she going to realize who he is? And right. Yeah. But I think they did let us. I mean, I don't think he unless he's completely lost any skill as a filmmaker. I think he did let us know that that was him. It was too telegraphed. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I was like, you mean be really obvious about it. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, just embrace it. Like, stop playing this. Oh, if you're really smart, you'll figure it out. But if you're not, we'll get you later. Fuck that. Just like, give it to me. And let me say that. And let me know that this is, this is horrible. And we know it. And now nobody else does. And let's go for it. And I don't know. I mean, that may have, have helped. But 
explain something to me about this twist. I have a lot of trouble with the cryopod stuff in general. Like when the ones burned up at the beginning, I was kind of like, what? what? Like, is, how, is that how badly designed all this is and that that's what happened? Or did I miss something that was like more like was, anyway? So then you get to the end. Right. And the two things that confuse me is one. So why is he keeping the alien embryos in the first place? Like, what does he want to do with those on the new colony? Like, is he want to, does he want to let them loose so they'll kill all the colonists? But, or, or why not just kill all the colonists? Why not just kill all the colonists? I have no idea. So, I mean, so maybe, then maybe is, because he needs the colonists to breed more. So, so then is that what it means when he's walking down the aisle and the lights keep going on of all of the, all of the cryopods that are standing up? Like, is he going to turn them all on or, or wake them all up? Or I'll tell you, I was ready to go at that point in the movie. I was like, Okay, time to go. Yeah. And, and that was that. I mean, honestly, I kind of liked the weirdness of him puking up the little embryos. Yeah, I, I kind of was like, oh, that's okay. that's a nice weird touch. Yeah, it's a weird Boy, idea. if only the rest of the movie would have been more like that. Uh, but but honestly, I kind of didn't give a shit anymore to, to remember detail. I can't remember the details of all that. So sorry, I can't help you with that one. I mean, to me, that the ending with her could have worked. It could have been horrifying. It's a horrifying idea to be in this chamber about to be put to sleep and then you find out that you've been had. I think that that could have been effective Uh and that could have ended the movie on a good note. Uh And again, had I cared more about her, had you maybe chiseled away some of the other character moments and like really focused on her more. Um, I, I I don't know if I want to critique her performance. I don't know if there's anything wrong with it. I think they were all just terribly underwritten. I think it was really all underwritten. Under, I think everybody did a good job as far as the cast is concerned. Yeah, there were no like bad performances. Like no. was James Franco in that movie? Well, that's the trick, right? Like James Franco was in the movie for one second before he got burned. Yeah, that's what I thought. He was in one of the the yeah um, okay that's the what short I thought. films. But, but I was like, yeah. is that James Franco? Yeah, his best performance to date. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I I don't know. I think some of that could have worked had I not been checked out. I think that's the that's the yeah. key here. Is that the movie? I, I feel like really Scott fumbled. Uh, and and is it, what's his name? John Logan. Yeah, John Logan. I think they kind of fumbled the ball in the middle section of the movie and lost me. So the rest of the movie, I maybe I, I'm holding it to too much scrutiny because I didn't feel comfortable anymore. I felt like it was time to start scrutinizing because I felt like they lost me with the whole David business and with that city, like all that stuff. Yeah, I, don't I agree. Know. I, don't I agree. Know. It could just really be coming down to that, and and. You know, Ridley Scott, I just don't know if he has it. Sorry for the Ridley Scott fans out there. I just don't think he has it anymore. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, maybe it's time it's time to check out, man. I, just, I, I think he's got these big ideas that he maybe doesn't know how to handle anymore. Maybe that's been the case I, I for would, a long time. I don't even think, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like a, a anymore thing. I just think that in general, like, there's he's only got true. like three or four movies that I think are any good. And most of the rest of his movies are, for me, are not successful pictures i'd rather anymore i mean like we used to joke about who would you rather watch a ridley scott movie or a tony scott movie and it's like i'll take the tony scott movie because it'll be more exciting and it'll be you know it'll probably be more interesting you know tony scott usually knew what he was working with yeah. i think that ridley scott runs into a script every once in a while it's okay i think he's had some modestly good movies here and there but as far as his really great movies they're, they're a long time ago yeah <laughs> they're a long long time ago to me i i, I haven't seen one I mean, he's even had some really, really bad movies in the last 10 years. And I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to say. It's He's gotten to this position as this great auteur, and I'm not exactly sure how he's held that position. I mean, people just some people really like him. Because so. of his ability to build a world and because of his ability to at times really seize on something. I mean, I don't like Black Hawk Down, but I, I think he seized on a kind of energy that was really impressive. It was almost like Ridley Scott was making a Tony Scott movie. Um, but it was... It was so he, he, he like you said he runs into things and they they either happen or they don't you know um it's funny because this idea of this dread you know I was watching uh in in tandem with or in preparation for the new Twin Peaks I went back and watched uh, Fire Walk with me which I really really liked when it first came out and I hadn't seen it in years and I remember people saying that they didn't like the movie because it didn't tell you anything you didn't know. And as I watched the movie, you know, I was just overwhelmed like I was the first time with this sense of dread. Just, it's a tragedy. You watch, yeah, you do know what's going to happen. You do know where this is headed. And you're seeing all of the things that you didn't really see in the show that were part of 
you know, Cooper's discovery or whatever, but you're watching it just, just melt in front of your face. And it's, it's really, really powerful. It is really, it's, it's really haunting and sad, you know? And here you look at David Lynch, who's, what is he? He's, I mean, he's, is he 10 years younger than Ridley Scott? Something like that. 70, 71. Yeah. Ridley Scott's about 80. Yeah. So nine years different. So, um, there's just this incredible purity of vision through all of his movies. And you, you, and I was thinking like, well, what's, is the new Twin Peaks going to be, is he going to be up to his standards? And it certainly is. I'm not sure I know what the fuck is going on for a good chunk of it, which is just fine because what I'm seeing is so interesting, but man, like talk about one kind of vision versus another kind of vision. One that's the uh, Ridley Scott sort of is his world building art direction vision. And then just this incredible psychological resonance that, that is in Lynch's vision. It's it just, it's amazing. We have two auteurs, if you will, with two different mentalities. Uh, both of them are highly visual, right? They're, they're both aesthetics first, I would say. Lynch certainly doesn't care about very much about plotting stories and Narr- narrative to him is, is his own thing. It's not something that you can, you and I, I, I neither one of I them, care, the, neither even, one of them care about plot. No, way. but one and one is because of a purity of vision. The other is because maybe just, I don't know if it's laziness or if it's just, they're just so really sketches so much more interested in the visual. I don't, I don't even want to try to talk about Lynch in a narrative context because he doesn't like it uh, when people do. And, it's not the point. The point is the, is the sense of like, in this case, a sense of dread. Sometimes it's a sense of absurd joy. Sometimes it's a sense of mystery, uh, sometimes mystery like blue velvet, yeah. you know, or a sense of curiosity. I would say even with blue velvet, it isn't as much a mystery in itself as much as it's about mystery. It's about curiosity. curiosity. It's about wanting to dig deeper under the surface. Yeah. And you know, typically Lynch sees things in layers like blue velvet, for instance, is this, uh, beautiful pristine layer with the ugliness underneath and then sometimes it's ugliness on the surface i think as he's gotten older actually he sees more of the ugliness on the surface and the beauty underneath and that's part of his whole his whole belief system with the transcendental meditation and so on yeah wild at heart wild at heart is sort of a transition from from ugly from beautiful surface to ugly surface right i'm twin peaks so the original series is definitely about pleasant happiness joy in life i mean the joy they take in eating and stuff everybody laughs at it. it's got a lot of meaning to it actually yeah. and i actually saw david lynch speak and he talked about that very thing talked about eating a peanut butter sandwich and taking so much joy talked about why he still smokes cigarettes even though he knows they're going to kill him because he takes so much joy in it and they've got to be able to tap into those superficial joys while you're also trying to tap into the beauty beneath which is like the sea of bliss that he believes in or whatever it is but in transitioning from Twin Peaks, the original series, you get that last episode, which is about the ugliness underneath completely. Like the last episode of Twin Peaks takes place almost entirely in the Black Lodge, which that's exactly what that represents. Then you get Fire Walk With Me, which then shows how that was there the whole time. The ugly underneath the surface of this lovely town. The town isn't consequential in Twin Pe- in Fire Walk With Me. It's all about, again, the ugliness underneath. And that's kind of what his career has been since, I yeah. think. Um, Lost Highway certainly like that. Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is, is, is it, it, its, its own thing. But it's a pretty ugly L.A. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it shown, really it's shown from a surface, you know, from uh, these beautiful aerial shots over the top of downtown L.A. Yeah. There, there's some beautiful shots, but as soon as you get into the into the center of it and get into the people, you have this one naive person that thinks L.A. is this uh, dreamland who gets eaten up by it, you know, and that's what that whole movie is about to me. Yeah. But this new twin peaks is certainly about the ugliness on the surface. I mean, it is brutal. It is, it's eating people up again, but then we're getting little hints at the town. He's still throwing in a little bit. We'll see how it goes. We're but, only four episodes. You've seen all four episodes. But yeah, I have, okay. I have, but it's, it's also even in its ugliness, it's so beautiful to look at. Oh, well, like yeah. it was so great to see him, you know, as a pioneer of digital technology. And he goes and makes that movie, um, Inland Empire. Yeah, Inland Empire. Um, that looks pretty shitty because it's the video technology uh, wasn't wasn't. Yeah, but where... I'll tell you what he had to say about. Okay, that. okay, okay. But I'll finish my thesis and then you can explode it. Um, 
but to see him then now be able to work in this digital medium that is, you know, allows these incredible shots at night. And I don't know, it just feels like he's really got all of these tools available to him and power to make this show. And it's a hit. I mean, this is the largest number of, of instant subscribers that Showtime has ever seen. So loyal people signed up and are paying for it and not torrenting it. And, and that's really awesome uh, because they, I think they really feel like they're supporting, you know, Lynch. So tell me what he said about Inland Empire. Oh, well, about the, when I saw him speak, it was about the time, I want to say it was about the time he was making Inland Empire. And he was actually very exci excited about the lack of technology in digital. He liked the degradation liked the, of image. Yes, he liked that. He felt that it was the closest thing that we'd had to the film stock of the 30s. That's exactly what he said. Hmm. To where he thought the fact that there were missing pixels all through every image was part of the mystery, like of an image. He right. hated HD. Yeah. He, this was the very early days of HD and he was down on it. He well, was it early HD looked, looked terrible. Terrible, yeah. You couldn't do as much it with it. Like now video. look what he's doing. Yeah, it's Jesus incredible. Christ, that shot of New York, that aerial shot of New York. Yeah. You thought you'd seen every shot of New York. <laughs> and true. there he is. So it's here true. we got a guy showing us new stuff. And, uh, you know, throughout the whole series so far, it's been surprise after surprise for me. Me too. And I'm a deep Twin Peaks fan. Like, I've been dying for 20 years to see the continuing adventures <laughs> of Dale Cooper. I wanted to see what happened since he's been in the Black Lodge. And we're getting it in a way that I never could have imagined. Well, I also think that Lynch is really leaning into the, um, either the beauty or the truth of aging. Yeah. And he is clearly taking a lot of pleasure in letting us see these same people 25 years later, when very possibly the last time we saw them was two days ago when they were 25 years younger, you know, and then we haven't seen them for all this time. I think there's something that's really beautiful and, um, truthful about about that yeah i think it's uh the the log lady margaret showing her and i say she you know, unfortunately she passed away so long ago that i can't believe that she's in the show i was surprised to see her and, and she was he shot her in her apparently like state of bad health yeah and there is something beautiful about that and you know they're old friends and i'm sure that this was a conversation they had yeah and i i've watched these episodes twice through now and I just find I <laughs> those moments so touching for some reason. Her relationship with Deputy Hawk and all that. And it's all these, like, one single setup shot for every scene she's in. Because, you know, the, you couldn't ask her to walk around or do anything. It's, you're mm -hmm. right about the truth of aging. I hadn't thought about that. But you're seeing a lot of it. And there's multiple people on this series that have passed since they shot their scenes. It's kind of sad. But I know. It's really weird. I just think that what I was trying to get at before I kind of got off track was that uh, it, to compare Lynch to Ridley Scott and compare Twin Peaks to Alien Covenant, Twin Peaks, this revival, the, the return, whatever they're calling it, is a completely uncompromised vision. Like this guy, not only did he almost shut it down because Showtime was trying to meddle with it and not give him enough money to shoot what he wanted to shoot, he was ready to just drop it. Right. He took a lot of shit for that because people thought he wanted more money. They didn't understand that he was actually asking for a budget. Uh, that's what Showtime wasn't giving him. But... He's not, I mean, what he's doing here can't possibly be to service the fans any more than just to show these characters. The characters that we love from the original series, other than Cooper, are barely in the show. They're right. almost like little vignettes, and I'm not sure if I'd call that fan service. I actually think it's probably leading to something, sort of. But, you know, initially when he showed Fire Walk With Me at Cannes, it got booed, right? You I know, do remember that, yeah. It was a horrible situation for him. And he actually basically got bombarded with people all through the festival begging him to cut that movie down. And that's the only time... To cut it down? Oh, yeah. Oh, it used to be much longer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you should watch the... I have the deleted scenes if you ever want to watch them. There's one of them that I would have left in the movie, though. I was actually kind of like, yeah, I see why these were cut. But mm -hmm. um, that's the only time I can think of in his entire career where he really gave in to something. Except for maybe during the Dune debacle, which he doesn't like to talk about. But um, not anymore. That's not going to happen anymore. And we got this uncompromising vision that we're seeing play out on television again. And it's something to behold. It's really amazing. Again, it it lends itself to surprise. There's no way you could know what's going to happen next. And then we have Ridley Scott, who is also, he's, he's in the driver's seat. He can do whatever he wants, right? Yet, 
Alien Covenant, according to his own words, is somewhat a product of him listening to the fans complain about Prometheus. It's actually a, co a compromise of sorts. I didn't like Prometheus, but to be honest, I'd rather a guy continue on with his vision uh, it, if I don't like it, whether I like it or not, uh, then to have a guy actually say this guy, an 80 year old master filmmaker saying, oh, the fans didn't like that. There were no aliens in it. So I'll make one with aliens in it. I think that maybe that that probably reeks a little bit in the movie too. Part of why it doesn't work is because it's, there's something, there's a lack of integrity to that. To me. Yeah. And I'm not trying to get down on saying that he lacks integrity. I'm just saying that these are two different approaches to filmmaking. Very different approaches to filmmaking. I mean, he is the guy who, who has been known to sort of say, okay, it's in the can, turn it over to the editor and move on to his next movie. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy who made commercials. I mean, this is, this is who he is and you get that. So for better or for worse, with Ridley Scott as a notour, I do think you get you get who he is. And with David Lynch, you also get who he is. And you tell me who's more interesting. You really get who David Lynch is. Like, I think you really get deeper into the psyche of a filmmaker with David Lynch maybe than anyone else. Because that's really what he's showing you. He's a, It's about his worldview. And that's what you get. And that's why most people don't get it. Like why so many people go, oh, it's just weird for weird sake. No, that's just how he sees the world. And he's not going to filter that for you. Like he's going to show he's actually an artist. Like as cliche as it might sound, he is a real film artist. What he cares about is putting his worldview on a canvas, on on a screen, however you want to put it, for you to take in and have what you will with it. Yeah. He doesn't care about whether you, I, I don't think he cares about whether you like it. We're getting back to what Alien was, right? He doesn't care whether you like it. He doesn't care whether you understand it. I think he takes a certain amount of joy in the fact that people are like, talking about it like we are now oh, but he doesn't really want you to do that he's not trying to get you to do that and i think it's telling too small spoiler for the new twin peaks basically the last thing you see in those first four episodes which are kind of like this big movie that introduces you to this new season is david lynch himself saying i have to say i really don't know what's going on here i think it's very telling it's very interesting and it's so compelling actually that scene i won't even say what it is that scene where Lynch's character, Gordon Cole, is having this conversation was so compelling to me that I had to go back and watch it again immediately. Like It just made all four of those episodes culminate into something for me that I couldn't explain and I had to watch again. And I think I'm uh, very excited about what Twin Peaks is doing. And I think it's, it's, I'm shocked. I didn't have high expectations. I honestly thought I might not like it, especially after seeing a lot of the promotional photography of the characters and so on. I was like, oh, no. Uh, we're gonna, are we, is he really going to rehash the old show? And he's not at all. Not at all. So very excited about Twin Peaks. So me. I think that we have come to what we could say is a happy ending to this episode. Right. I, I would say so, too. I, I, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> we, we decided to talk about a movie that neither of us liked. I guess that's just, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, that's we, we're critics, I guess. So we, we're we not dissecting this movie, one Alien Covenant, one minute at a time. We're just giving our impression of it and what we liked or didn't like about it. Well, I would also say that it's unusual if you think that this is, you know, who, who I am and what I do. Like, in general, I write about films that interest me. I write about movies that I like. I, I would much rather talk about a film that I like that somebody hasn't seen and try to convince them to go watch that movie yeah. than to sit around and trash movies. That's why I'm not a, a film reviewer. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't like that. I, I can't think of anything more painful than having to sit through movies that you don't like and then have to think about them, you know, again, yeah. uh, short of, short of the old Robert Altman thing of, of uh, you watch a movie that you don't like and you learn from it because you say, I'm never going to do that <laughs> in a movie. Right. But short of that, I don't, I don't like doing this. So I like seeing you, John. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I like having I, these conversations yeah, with I'm you. Glad that we had this little talk about this movie, and so Aliens is going to be a lot more fun. It's going to be a lot more fun, and and you know, it's not bad to let our audience have a little more insight in how we actually discuss movies when we're having a beer. Like most of the time, we do. We talk about stuff we like, but if we we haven't seen each other in a while and we saw a movie in between and we didn't like it, we will have a conversation just like the audience just heard. Um, so, do you want to say anything about? Uh, what's to come with the Aliens Minute? Yeah, so Aliens uh, we're do Aliens Minute is well underway. There are many episodes in the can um, already, just trying to get a little ahead of it and have a buffer so I can have some kind of a summer uh, to myself. But yeah, mainly uh, it's coming out on June 12th. Look for it on Monday morning or really, really early on Monday morning or late Sunday night, depending on where you are in the world. And uh, 
it'll be you know Mitch for a couple of weeks and and for most of the rest of the season it'll be me and a series of guest hosts very exciting guest hosts too had a lot of people that were very interested in coming back on to talk about aliens people that were on for alien coming on as guest hosts and then bringing along new guests with them so that's going to be the nature of the show mostly it'll be me and the at the helm and and lots of guests and very interesting filmmakers film critics and so on on to talk about aliens and that's about all there's to it it'll be a nice run it'll run through the whole year and i look forward to it sounds great well um i have nothing else to say so i think this is probably the end of the show all right yeah well thank you for listening folks and remember that you can find us on alienminute.com at twitter at alien minute pod on instagram at alien minute podcast we also have a virtual tip jar over at alienminute.com if you feel like dropping a buck or two in there that'd be very helpful uh, with expenses on for the show uh, we also have a tea public page with some uh, new aliens themed uh, designs or at least one so far but there's another one on the way so look for that uh, go on there and grab a t-shirt or a sticker or something and we will see you back on june 12th <laughs>